Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. So my name is Karen. I'm a compulsive eater and anorexic. And I'll just qualify by, um, well, first I'll say thank you for to David for, um, I mean, to, to Elaine and David for um, having this be a speaker meeting and that where there's recording going on. So thank you, Elaine, for asking and thank you for David for asking about the recording part. So um, I'll just qualify by saying that I came into program in 1986 and I um, qualify as both a compulsive eater and an anorexic. Um, and let's see, I used to weigh about 60 more pounds than I do now. Um, and I don't, since coming into program, it's given me a way of life where I don't have to be driven by the obsession around the food on an ongoing basis and hardly at all. Um, so I feel really, really grateful that um, this program um, gave me a life that is worth living um, and that it's free from the driving uh, obsessiveness of the compulsion and the different ways that it plays out in my own personal story. So um, I'll just say, I'll just follow the standard, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now and say that um, basically I started eating compulsively and secretively as a child. Um, very early, I lost, as it says in the big book, you know, that we lose the power of choice. And I lost the power of choice in my eating behaviors. I didn't know it at the time, I was just a child. And I didn't know the repetition of going back of waiting for everyone to be asleep and going back into the kitchen and going through things over and over and over again. I didn't know there was anything weird about that, except that I knew that I didn't want to get caught. Um, so I tried to be very quiet. Um, I also, so I had secretive eating, but I also had just out there eating. I was known for eating more than anyone else in the family could. I was chunky. They said I was big boned as a child. Um, and, um, I think that, you know, I don't have any idea why, what caused the compulsive eating to start, you know, maybe it was, you know, whether it was genetic or social or emotional or something like that. And it doesn't really matter to me. All I, all that matters to me is that there's a solution out of it, irregardless of what might have added into making it happen in my life. Um, so it very early became a kind of thing that I centered my <clears throat> life around. And it usually happened um, where it was both quantity, but also there were particular things like sugar in all its various forms um, that Caught, both of those caught me, both the quantity and the sugar kind of things. So, um, <clears throat> so even though I didn't know it, 
my life sort of centered around that. Um, it centered around when my mother would leave the house, like I'd come home from school and I'd wait for my mother to leave the house and then I would start into the food kind of thing. Um, and so I, would, I was already planning even as a child how to get what I needed, even not knowing why I would need anything. So anyway, it says in the big book that um, the root of our trouble is selfishness, self-centeredness. And that's really true for me, that this is a disease both of isolation and of self-centeredness, that everything revolved around me trying to work out a way to not, to get what I wanted without having other people in my way. Sometimes I could get that freely, you know, like I just ate a lot at the different meals or something. But there was this other secretive part of always trying to get more. So um, when I, I, my mother took me to Weight Watchers when I was around 12, and I don't remember much about it. I didn't have, I've never had much of a relationship around my body. Like I don't remember very much mm -hmm. obsessing around what I looked like or anything like that. Um, but anyway, um, I made it, barely made it through high school. I had a nervous breakdown in high school and almost didn't graduate. And, um, that started besides food. It also started panic attacks and over the counter drugs to try to sedate myself and things like that. So, um, what happened was, was that I was, I went, I was in Al-Anon. Um, my life sort of became a wreck and some pe different people I knew had moved into 12-step programs and I saw that their lives were getting better. And one day I just asked one of them, like, you know, those meetings you talk about, can you tell me where to go? And so I ended up in an Al-Anon meeting and that really helped family issues. Um, after three years in Al-Anon, um, I was taking, I was one of the caretakers for a friend. We were all in our mid-30s thir uh, mid and she got breast cancer, a really aggressive form, and was dying. And I was one of her caretakers. When she died, I was binging out of control, day and night. And um, I couldn't stop. I would put you know, I've said this before, I'd put food in the car to try to get myself to go out to the car to go to work. I had to, I just, this is just what happened. So I had a big thing trigger it. Um, and I certainly again became, I lost the power of choice in my eating behavior, just like I had when I was a child. But on this, this, this was a much deeper level and a much more compulsive and hard hitting level than what it had been growing up. Um, and so anyway, I was, uh, someone in Al-Anon said, well, there's a program for that. And so I went into OA. And um, I, I really struggled when I first came into OA, like I didn't understand what people were talking about, but I did understand that they had stopped doing what I was 
doing. They weren't driven by the food. And that's what kept me coming back. Um, and so um, I struggled around that. I didn't just walk in and have, feel relief. I felt relief from being in a room where people talked about food and what they were doing with it and how they had stopped but it didn't relieve the compulsion in myself for a while. So I struggled. I did not want to get a sponsor. I did not want to tell anyone about what I was eating. Did you just say five minutes? Uh, I said it a couple of minutes ago. Okay, okay. So um, I didn't want to tell anyone about what I was doing with the food, um, but I did both of those things. I got a sponsor. I called her with my food. I remember laying on my bed and crying and crying before I picked up the phone to call her. And I just thought, I can't do this, you know? But that was the breaking of the secrecy around what I was doing in my self-centered little world. And um, so anyway, uh, she asked me to do a food history that was really informative to me since I, it sort of was a blur. Like if you would have asked if I would have been doing this share before um, I came into program, I would have said, well, I didn't have a problem with food. I, I didn't remember much about it when I was a child, but then in program and listening to people, I was like, oh my God, I used to do this all the time, you know, and grow and going through college and things like that. It was part of just what I did. I just didn't, I was just unconscious somehow about it. So until it really got triggered. So um, I just made some notes here, but um, the big book says um, for, the, um, for those of us who are unable to eat moderately, the question is how to stop the compulsive behavior. And it says we have two alternatives to blot out the consciousness of the intolerable situation as best we could or to accept spiritual help. And um, it was really amazing to come into program and find that there was a solution to this. And they, in, the, in the big book, it says that the solution consists of self-searching. And it said, we, it said, none of us like this, that the self-searching, and I thought, and I was thinking, well, that's interesting because what I searched for was the food all the time. That's just what I searched for. Second but instead, okay, five minutes? Five minutes left. Okay, thanks. So instead, I got to do self-searching. I got to search for fellowship. Um, and I got to search for the tools of the program. It talked about we didn't like the leveling of our pride. And for me, that was that I had to say that I couldn't any longer do it myself, that I needed help. And um, it also talked about the confession of shortcomings. And that for me was about accepting responsibility for my thinkings and my actions when I used food and how they affected myself and all the people around me. Because I didn't know until I got into program that it affected other people around me. And I was sort of shocked when friends, after I'd been in program for a while, said, wow, you're really different. You know, like when you go out to eat with us or something, you would spend hours trying to get through the menu and not be able to choose anything. And here you are just ordering something, you eat a meal and go home. It was like very, very different. So the other thing I learned is that, um, what works for other people in the program will work for me. And um, that I used to think, I used to think nothing else applied to me. Every 
I was different than everyone, but no, it's what other people has found, I've found also. So what it's like now, um, you know, I began slowly to listen, be willing to listen and do what others said. I had, um, with, when I hit into an anorexic stage, um, which was stress related, I saw a nutritionist, a medical doctor, and a psychiatrist who all worked with eating disorders together. And I listened to them and I did what they told me to do. And that brought me out of the anorexia. Um, I keep it simple. I don't play around with food. It's not a recreational activity for me. Um, I don't create elaborate dishes for myself or others. Meals have a beginning and an end and boundaries on the amounts that I eat. Um, this way, food and the act of eating have become normalized one day at a time. I also have an action plan for the day, which includes a period of morning meditation, two walks, my work schedule and meal times, personal time and meeting times. Um, I, I make OA calls. I do about five meetings a week. I pray throughout the day. I try to connect with newcomers. And all these things help to lessen the self-centeredness that plagues me constantly. You know, it's a lot less than it was, you know, before I came into program, but I still find myself occupied with my own little plans. Um, so anyway, um, the, the compulsion around the food does not obsess me anymore. It may come up occasionally, especially if I'm under stress in some kind of way, but every day, is the chance to meet life on life's terms without the food between me and life. So is that about it, Lewis? Uh, you have about a minute and a half left. Okay. So um, I guess the other thing I'll just say is that um, it's, you know, not been smooth sailing all through life or the program, but I'm grateful every day that I was given a solution that has worked so far and has become a way of life for me. Um, and, you know, I feel like I learned in the big book that alcoholics who went through World War I and World War II, many of them didn't pick up a drink while they were in the middle of all that. And so in this, this you know, pandemic isn't exactly on that level or something, but it's, you know, it's a type of really life-changing thing and all the um, social justice things that are happening. And I got really comforted by the fact that these, you know, early alcoholics had made it through that time. And um, that's why we have a program today based on that. So I feel like if they can do that, I can look to them to get myself through each day as best as I can one day at a time. So that's it. Thank you so much.